least, not as she had done once. Their engagement had been broken last August. War had driven them apart, and that had to be that. She'd been pleased to see Daniel, however, quite confident now with his artificial leg, and joking with the friend whom she had briefly met in April. Henri Villiers was able to walk for brief periods on crutches with his two artificial legs. With them was the same Belgian army captain who had been with them then, Captain Yves Rossier, although he now wore khaki, not the traditional Belgian army uniform with Shaco as he had in April. She'd been equally pleased to see him, for despite a slight limp, he was able-bodied. An eleventh-hour rescue was at hand. Oh, thank goodness! She smiled at him in relief. We badly need another man. I just told Janie, uh, Miss Marden, that I'd have to co-opt her to play opposite her brother. He had seemed taken aback, almost offended. Je regret, Miss Lily, that I do not play. Amazed at the sharp reply, and not entirely convinced that the abrupt words were solely due to the fact that English was not his native language, she tried her most winning manner. Oh, it doesn't matter if you're an awful player. We're all rotten, but it's still fun. It failed to win him, to her annoyance. My apologies, but I came here today merely to drive Captain Villers. He is an homme très sérieux, Henri butted in, grinning. It would do you good to hit a ball around Eve. Merci, Henri, a gentler note in the captain's voice. But I prefer to walk down to the forest. Ashdown Forest lay less than a mile away, down the track called Pook's Way. It had felt like a slap in the face, whether intended or not, and, irritated, Caroline made a grimace at Henri as Yves Rossier bowed and strolled off. His limp and the scar on his cheek suggested he had probably met Henri in hospital, She wondered fleetingly what his story was, recalling her first shocked reaction on meeting him in April, and then decided to waste no more time on such a prickly guest. Instead, she went in search of Janie. You're a man, she informed her cheerfully. You're doomed. Janie grimaced. If I get polaxed by one of Tim's aces, I bequeath you my thanks. Since universal conscription had been introduced in May, the manpower both from the village and from among her friends elsewhere had steadily thinned. Many had already enlisted long before conscription became law, but now every man from 18 to 41 was vanishing, married and unmarried alike, and, it seemed, indiscriminately. Those who objected to fighting on moral grounds could face a military tribunal to hear their case, though they were greatly disapproved of. There were others not even as fortunate. Men like Fred, who had received his papers, and whose plight lay outside the range of exemptions covered by the tribunals. The Dibble's younger son, childlike in mind and life, ambled through his days in the rectory, performing one or two small jobs. To his pride, these had expanded in wartime to taking Nanny Oates's spare eggs into Tunbridge Wells for sale. Eggs were a luxury food now, and poor Fred had been clumsy with them, 
until Caroline had had the bright idea of telling him that eggs were like tiny birds to be cherished. After that, there'd not been a single breakage. Dr. Marden and her father had both appealed to the war office, asking for exemption for Fred, and since no more had been heard, Mrs. Dibble's fears had been allayed. Caroline, playing with the schoolmaster, Philip Ride, had quickly been knocked out of the first round of the grandly named tournament this afternoon, hardly to her surprise, for she did not pride herself on being a good player, and Philip certainly wasn't. In fact, she was delighted, for it meant she could enjoy the rest of the afternoon without having to display her lack of talent on the court yet again. She left that to the brighter stars, such as her friend Penelope Banning, home from Serbia, and as yet undecided what to do next, and Ellen, her friend from Dover, where they'd both been VADs. Under Caroline's